Well, good morning again, and uh, welcome to Christ the King. It's uh, wonderful to see all of you. And uh, we're going to continue this morning with our series on the sovereignty uh, of God. And whenever you talk about these theological things, sovereignty of God and, and uh, other issues like that, uh, it can raise a lot of questions, and uh, hopefully, in some way, it's uh, not only helpful to you, but I hope that it will unsettle you a little bit. I don't think we should ever become comfortable uh, with God. In fact, when you, um, uh, when you talk to, to people, regardless, maybe they're Christians, maybe they're non-Christians, if, if anyone ever tells you, I'm comfortable with God, I like God just the way He is, and then they're, what they're actually talking about is themselves. They have created God in their own image, and they're just talking about themselves. And a lot of Christians do this as well. They have a picture of God that is uh, sort of like a, a genie in a bottle, a fairy godmother or fairy grandfather, uh, whatever image you might have, this, this wonderful uh, gr- great uncle up in the sky who just wants to do all kinds of good for you, uh, which is true, but he's also very scary, and he's very dangerous. And uh, the Bible does not uh, make any uh, qualms about that. I mean, it speaks very honestly about how threatening he is. And there are places in the Bible that say, if you even come close to this mountain where I am, you will die. And so we have to come to grips with that, folks. And my desire is that you come to know the real true God. And, and what that's going to mean is you're going to be dealing with a God who is sovereign and he is scary. And dangerous. At the same time, the the bright side of that is that this same God who is scary and dangerous and all-powerful, a majesty that we can hardly comprehend, also has an unbelievable, incomprehensible love and passion for you. Not you in general, but you specifically. He loves His creation and He especially loves His people, whom He has invested with a unique thing we call the image of God. Of all creation, we're the only thing that bears that image. And so it is truly remarkable that we have this God. But I told you, if you're comfortable with Him, you're probably worshiping some version of yourself and not really the true God. Sovereignty is an absolute, unquestioned power and authority, right, dominion, independence to do and according to His own will and good pleasure, whatever He wants. And this is a picture of a great ancient Near East potentate, a king whose word is the command. And no one questioned. If you questioned, off with your head. And so this is the picture you get. And that kind of power, that kind of sovereignty in the hands of anybody or anything else would turn into tyranny. We talked about this over the last few weeks. But in God's hands, it's qualified by His holiness, by His goodness, by His purity, by His love, by His justice, by His righteousness. We could go on and on and on. And so we can rest even while we're uncomfortable, we can rest in that sovereignty. And Christians often fall into two errors. I'm going to read the passage in a minute. We fall into the error, and people in general, all religions do this, but Christianity as well. We either become fatalistic and say, well, whatever God wills, and no, that must have been God's will, and everything becomes God's will, which generally it is, but 
the idea is that we become fatalistic. Well, why should I choose? Why should I make a decision? Why should I do anything? I mean, God's going to be whatever He wants, so it must be God's will. And I told you that is a terrible error. We don't even want to go there. And uh, the other side of that is you can become a free will autonomous person where you think, well, you know, God is just a clockmaker. He wound it up. He put, it at, you know, he put the universe into motion and now it's all up to us. And I told you last week, if it's all up to you, no sane person would get out of bed in the morning. So, we don't want to become autonomous free will people and we don't want to become fatalistic. We want to become Bible people who believe in the real God. And, and if He's sovereign, then you're free. Think. You're free to make choices. I can go to this school. I can go to that. I can marry this one. I can marry. I can have chocolate. I can have vanilla. I can eat this. I can eat that. You can make your choices. You can live. You don't have to be wringing your hands over every little thing. Doesn't that sound good? And in the midst of that, you're praying and you're thinking and you're asking God and He's guiding you and leading you. It's, It's an interaction of relationship that is profound and beautiful. Turn your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. This is about Jehoshaphat. Many of you know the story of Jehoshaphat. He was a king of Judah. And really a wonderful account. Let's hear the Word of God. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites and with some of the Meunites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. And some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming out against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is in Jedi, Jehoshaphat was afraid. And he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. That sounds familiar, right? From last week, they fasted and they prayed. Judah assembled to help, to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly, get the picture, in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the court, and he said, O Lord, now he's going to pray. Hear the prayer. O Lord God of our fathers, are not you the God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the earth and of the nations. In your hand are power, might, so that there's none able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people, Israel, and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon you, the sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by, get, by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones and wives and children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, 
Go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position. See the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them and the Lord will be with you. This is God's Word. Living with a sovereign God. You know, I've I've been to... I've been to school, graduate school, theology school, and we studied all these things in depth. We had to read crazy amounts of stuff to learn about all these things. So you would think that I would be totally okay with all this, and I'm not. I'm not. God is scary and dangerous, and at the same time, wonderful and beautiful. But He's uncomfortable at times. And living with Him, and it's what we've been talking about, can be discomforting sometimes. But it can also be great. How wonderful is it, you know, when you don't really need a sovereign God, when He does something, you know, you're suffering or something bad's going on in your life, it's easy to blame God. Oh, it's his fault. Why would God, why would a good God allow this to happen? Blah, 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 blah. You hear all the arguments. But boy, when we need Him, what kind of God do you want? Tell me what kind of God do you want? It starts with an S and then what kind? You want a sovereign God, right? Well, well, yeah, you know, they tell you you got cancer, or they tell you uh, your finance, you're losing your job, or one of your kids is sick, or one of your kids leaves uh, the, the church and goes off, becomes an atheist. Who knows what happens? They go off the rails. What kind of God do you want? You want a sovereign God. Somebody's going to go in there and do something and has power and authority to do it. And so, this is what we find now with Jehoshaphat. He approaches God very carefully, but he does it on God's terms. And this is the thing that I want to help all of us understand. So we're going to look quickly. I'm just going to give give you a little outline. Here it is. Confession, confusion, and confidence. This will help you remember. These are just tricks, you know, to remember. Confession, confusion, confidence. This is sort of the track we go through almost every time with God. Whether it's something big, something small, it doesn't matter. You're going to go through... Confession, there's going to be some talking going on somewhere, and there's going to be confusion. And if there's not, then perhaps something's wrong. We should probably think about it a little bit. And then there's going to be some confidence, hopefully, confidence. So, confession. In the first section here, verses 1 and 2, we are told that there are impossible circumstances. Circumstances that Joshua or, or uh, Jehoshaphat excuse me, has no way of addressing. He cannot fix this. He can't hire another army. He doesn't have nuclear weapons. He has no, uh, his army by this time of Judah was not that strong. He didn't have any ability to conquer this horde army coming against him. And so he, he, he's faced with an impossible circumstance. And he confesses that. In other words, these are stated to him. He doesn't deny that it's out there. And Christians are nutty sometimes. They want to deny reality. And they use these funny word games. I don't know how many of you watch late night televangelists. Do any of you do that? You're not going to admit it right now, are you? But I mean, come on, you turn on these people, and some of them are male and some of them are female. I won't name any names, although I probably should. But I mean, my goodness. And they say, you can have whatever you say. You just say it and you can have it. You know, God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and, and more healthy and more wealthy. They never say healthy, wealthy, and wise. Because if you're wise, you'd turn it off and read a good book. 
you know, like uh, Lord of the Rings or uh, Harry Potter. I mean, anything would be better. So anyway, we need to face reality. You know, when you be real, folks. Quit playing these games, these weird games that we play with God. I don't have any... I'm, there's nothing wrong with me. Everything's going to be fine. You know, don't go up to somebody that's been diagnosed with cancer and tell them everything's going to be fine. Why would you do that? Who do you think you are? Well, I'm just trying to encourage them. That isn't encouraging. Has any of you had cancer? Don't raise your hand. Yeah. Did it help for somebody to come? You're going to be okay. Don't worry. I'm worried and I'm not sure everything's going to be okay. Right? You with me? Let's be real. You don't have to go up to them and say, gosh, sorry, you're going to die. <laughs> no, no, that's not helpful either. But you can go and say, you know, I don't know what you're going through. Or maybe you've had cancer, or you've had some other d- terrible disease, or you've lost a child. You can go up to them and say, you know what, I know what you're going through. But why be presum- Why play these games? Please, let's be real, folks. Can we be real? This little church, Christ the King, let's be real. Maybe we can start a movement, the real movement. We're real people. and we do, we, There's an army out there. It's going to destroy us. My God, what are we going to do? I'm afraid. Verse 3. Jehoshaphat is naturally afraid. Fear is natural. Now what does the Bible say about fear? What is the the most often repeat command in the Bible? What is it? Do not fear. But it doesn't deny the reality that things are scary. If you're not afraid something's wrong with you, you need to see a doctor. They'll scare you. Yeah? All right. Like Luke Skywalker. You know Luke is being trained by Yoda, the Jedi Knight. You all know the story? No? Am I wasting my time? Alright, he's being trained by this little green fellow with pointy ears. His name's Yoda. And, and he's learning to flip and use the, the saber and all this stuff and make things move and you know all that kind of stuff. And he, they, there's this one cave, this one dark place where they go by and they can feel this power coming out. And, 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 and Luke wants to go in there and Yoda says, you can't go in there. And Luke tells him what? What does Luke say to Yoda? I'm not afraid. And the famous classic line Yoda says back to him. Anybody know? You will be. You will be. And that's why my daughter-in-law calls me Yoda. She actually does. (laughs) So fear is natural, folks. But look at verse 6 through 9. It says, but God... Those wonderful words, but God. We have a sovereign God. A God who is. And Jehoshaphat confesses this. You see, there's trouble. It's impossible. There's fear. Yes, it's tearing him apart. He doesn't know what to do. He wants to protect his people, but he can't. But he mixes all that up and he confesses, God, we know who you are. And we know what you have promised. And we know what you will do. But God, and then he prays. But when you put all those things together, impossible or terrible circumstances, and on top of that you put, uh, you put the, uh, the fear that is gripping your heart, and then you, you introduce into that a sovereign God who supposedly has all power and authority, and all, you put it all in, there's going to be confusion. It can cast us into a level of confusion. They, they, can, they can cause us trouble. But... The next, number two, the next thing you do is you have an honest, listen folks, have an honest dialogue with God. Get a cup of coffee, sit in a chair, and close your eyes and pretend that He's there. 
and that you can talk to Him like a real person. Read the Psalms. Those are real conversations. Have any of you ever read the Psalms? Those are real conversations where the psalmist says, Oh Lord, oh God, my God, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. Wow, You are the great. He goes into these heights of glory and praise. Or uh, Psalm 13, How long, oh Lord, how long are You going to forget me forever? I've been waiting. How long? Pleading with, but this is honest conversations. No these and thous and all this flowery languages. You know, it's just an honest conversation with a real person. And that's what he wants. And Jehoshaphat has this great prayer and conversation with God while he's struggling with confusion. And look what he does. Verses 10 and 11. He, he tells God something God already knows, but he says to God, you know, we were good to these people. When we came out of Egypt, these two groups, the Ammonites and the Moabites, who were, who were cousins of, of the, uh, the Israelite people, the Hebrew people, God commanded them, don't touch the Moabites and don't touch the Ammonites because they're your blood, they're your kin. Go around them, leave them alone. And so they went around, they left them alone. They didn't go in and cause any trouble with them. No, you know, no grasshoppers and locusts and you know, all that kind of stuff. Blood and... They left them alone. And look how, they're repay- look how they're repaying us. See, this is the conversation he's having with God. Look how they're repaying us, God. They're rewarding our good with evil. They're coming again. They're going to destroy us. And if you've read your Bible, or you someday hopefully will read your Bible, you will see that the Moabites and Ammonites become lifelong enemies. God finally destroys them because they just don't know how to act. They're just naughty from top to bottom. And so he gets rid of them at some point. And he asks God an honest question. Verse 12. I love this. Will you not judge? When you guys are watching the TV and you see what's going on in Syria and, and uh, Western Iraq and the ISIS, and all, don't you, do any of you ever say, God, are you going to do something about this? Well, I'll tell you what most of the reform people do. You know, they start looking for some presidential candidate that will just bomb the devil out of all those people. Yes? God forgive you. No, you, you understand what I'm saying. You know, we, we come at this completely there. Yes, he should judge. But how's he going to judge? That's the question. And when and where and how? I don't know. Maybe it is by the hand of the United States. I don't know. But the idea is that we can't presume anything. He asks God, will you not judge? Will you not do something about it? Will you not? It's wonderful dialogue. Both ways, going both ways. Because you're going to see God answers him, which I think is out of this world. Will you not judge? He appeals to what? What is he appealing to? He's appealing to God's holy character. See, we honestly, folks, we do not believe that God is holy. We don't believe that he really will judge, that he really will come and rescue. He may not do it on your terms or in your lifetime or by the means you would decide. But do you believe that he will judge? Do you? Say yes. He may do it in 200 years from now. But will you not judge? He's asking God an honest question and he's leaving it up to the sovereign God to decide how this... He's not telling God how to do it. He's not trying to figure out how God's going to do it. He's just making an honest appeal. And I love that. And think that that is the thing that we should be doing. 
injustice. He, he recounts what's going on. He asks honest questions. Are you not going to judge? And then finally, the next little verse there in 12, the second part of verse 12, he talks about true power. He says, he, he confesses in his confusion, he says to God, we're powerless. We don't have any power. We, we admit it that we don't have any power. We don't know what to do. Are there times in your life when you don't know what to do? Are there times in your life when you feel power? I don't know, folks. I've had a lot of those times in my life where I feel powerless. And I don't know what to do. And I read my Bible and I pray and things are quiet. He doesn't always answer me the way I want Him to. And I have to make choices and I have to get up in the morning and I've got to go to work and do things and face things and like everyone else, right? Okay? Where do we find true power? Jehoshaphat knows where we find true power. He says we're powerless. We don't know what to do. What is he massaging into the, the, the conversation? Me powerless, but what? You, you got the power. I don't know what to do, but what? You know what to do. So cool, so fantastic. The Apostle Paul reiterated a very famous verse, 2 Corinthians. He says, God, Paul has this, this malady. We often think we know what it is. I know what it is. You don't want to know what the thorn in his side is? Read the preceding couple chapters and he tells you what the thorn in his side is. Okay? He tells you it's not a disease. It's not this. It's not that. You read and you will find it. It's amazing. And once you see it, you go, oh my gosh, how did I miss this? All right. But when Paul pleaded with God, please help me, I don't know what to do. God said this, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. Therefore, Paul says this, I'll boast in my, hey, I've learned the secret. I'll boast in my weakness. I'll more gladly boast in my weakness. All the more gladly. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And folks, this is totally counterintuitive. Nobody likes doing this. I don't like doing it. I know that most people, most human beings don't like doing it. We do not like to go to the weak. We want strength. We want overwhelming power. We want ability. We want what? We want control. How many of you have a problem with control? I'm, I love to be in control, yes? That's why the remote control is in a certain place where no one can touch it or find it. Right? So, so, so what have I told you? For years, folks, I've said the way up, this is not my, this is a Jack Miller thing. The way up is the way down. You want to go to God. You, you, go to humility. Go to dependence. Rest in Him. Admit your weaknesses. We don't know what to do. Help us in your confusion. Don't start dictating to God and say, it's got to be this way. Will you judge? Will you help me? Are you going to do something? Please. But you know what, God? I will wait forever and I will accept what you do. That's trust. That's humility. I don't know. I have some humility. Jehoshaphat knows that. And he moves to confidence. Look at the very last part of, of the 12th verse. All that in this one little verse, 12. The last part. But our eyes are on you. Do you see it? He goes from confessing all what they've, you know, some good, some bad, but all this mess that's facing him. He's confused about it. But then he ends and he says, But our eyes are on you. 
Our eyes are on you. I love that. At the end of the day, folks, you're going to have to put your eyes... You know, we may not conquer ISIS. ISIS may conquer us. Not us particular, but they may take over part of the Middle East. We may actually have to go and have a World War III. Yes? You all been reading the news? It is scary what's going on in our world. Countries are out of control. And it's happened over and over in history. This is nothing new. I don't know why we think it's going to be different in the 21st century. We are facing serious problems, serious enemies, and that's on a global scale. What about your own life? You know, some days I look at my checkbook and I go, it's impossible. What do you do? Right? Or you may have medical issues, or you may have children that are, like I said, that have gone off the rails. What do you do? I've told many of you. If you have children that have gone off the rails, you pray the rest of your life and the last gasp, the last breath that comes out of your mouth is what? What did I say, Michelle? What did I tell you? You promised. Let that be the last gasp as you die. You got a child off the rails. and you go, The last breath. You promised. And then go ahead and die. Because it's impossible, Yes? You can't talk them into the kingdom. You can't save everybody. You can't cure the global problems. And neither can the governments. They're going to come and go in cycles. And and sometimes we will prevail and sometimes we won't. So he goes to confidence. Sovereign. This is where sovereignty pays off. Because God answers him. J. Hudson Taylor, the great Inland China mission who faced problems that most of us will never imagine his whole life. Very faithful man. Hudson Taylor said this, It matters not, listen, it matters not how great the pressure is, only where the pressure lies. Do you hear that? It matters not how great the pressure is, only where the pressure lies. As long as the pressure does not come between you and your Savior, but presses you to Him, You with me? Then, the greater the pressure, the greater my dependence is upon Him. Do you see what Hudson Taylor was saying? saying, it doesn't matter. We say, oh, He's going to give me more than I can handle. Yes, He will. Don't believe that. He won't give you more than you can handle. That's not what that Scripture means. He will give you more than you can handle. The greater the pressure is, the greater my dependence upon Him will be as long as I don't let anything come between me and Him. And so I always tell people, when people come to me and and they say, you know, I can't believe God did this and I'm mad at Him. I tell everyone, if you come to me, here's what I'm going to say. I'll save you the trip. I don't understand God. I'm confused. Why did He do this? I'm mad at Him. I don't know if I'm praying. It doesn't do any good. I'm going to tell you this. Run to Jesus. Run there. Stay there. But for goodness sakes, don't go the other way. Don't let anything come between you and Him. You can be mad at Him, but stay with Him. Yes? You can be upset. You can be confused. You can be all of that, but do not leave His side. Because there's a sovereign God there. And He will answer. I don't know how, I don't know when. So what He says is this, and this is one of the great things. He answers Jehoshaphat in real time, which we all love and would like to have all the time, but sometimes we don't. Do not fear. 
The battle is not yours. Is the battle ever yours, folks, by the way? Those of you that are Christians. Is the battle ever yours? Say no. Okay. No, it is never yours. The battle in your life, you have been promised this. Which I'm going to show you in a second. I will always fight for you. The battle is not yours, but God's. Go, you won't fight, I will. Stand firm, hold your position. In other words, He wants them to go. He wants them to be there. He wants them to see His mighty sovereign hand. He does not want them to stay in Jerusalem and you know send a text message over, hey, we won the war. No, He wants them to go watch, see, feel, touch, experience. Do not fear, he says in 18. He repeats it. He goes, the whole thing, 15 to 18, wonderful. Do not fear. Go. I will be with you. Do you have to face the impossible? God is with us, folks. That is the promise of the New Testament. Emmanuel. What, what does it say? God is what? With us. Do you see? God is with us. Like a child. Uh, who is scared of the dark, but his parents comes in the room, he's no longer scared. And when do we hear those words repeated and consummated and fulfilled? Every single one of those words. When do we hear the, the war cry? When do we see the warrior king actually step into the battle on behalf of his people and fight a battle that none of you or I could even imagine not to this day? In fact, we will spend eternity mining the depths of that great battle. The Apostle Paul said this, You who were dead in your trespass and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This, listen, this He set aside, nailing it to the cross, he disarmed the authorities and rulers and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in it. In what? The cross. Yes? Don't you love that? The cross. The cross. Stand firm. Watch and see. Nobody, not one of His followers went to the cross with Him. None of them. He died between two thieves. Wow. Nobody died with Him. He died alone with two thieves. No disciple. We never fought that battle. He fought it. He became weak so that we could be strong, listen, in our weakness. James Stewart said this, they nailed him to the tree. They nailed him to the tree not knowing that by the very act they were bringing the world to his feet. They gave him a cross, not guessing that he would make it a throne. They flung him outside the gates to die, not knowing that in that very moment they were lifting up all the gates of the universe to let the king come in. They thought to root out his doctrines not understanding that they were implanting imperishable in the hearts of men the very name they intended to destroy. They thought they had God with His back to the wall 
pinned and helpless and defeated, they did not know that it was God Himself who had tracked them down. He did not conquer in spite, listen, He did not conquer in spite of the dark mystery of evil. He conquered through it. He became a curse for us. This sovereign God has put His love on you and has promised, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll fight your battles. Will you trust Him? That's the question. Will you? And I pray that you will. Let's pray. Father, we are sometimes so confused. I, myself, almost daily face some confusion. And sometimes I understand what you're doing and others I don't. And I know that everyone here has had those very experiences and if not, they will. And we plead with you, Father, asking that you would help us to understand, help us to move from confusion to confidence, help us to make that track, to do it honestly, really, like real people, to have real conversations with you, to draw near to you in ways that we never have in the past perhaps for the first time in our life. And it doesn't matter whether we're young or old, Father, You are always welcoming us and always looking to us uh, as Your children. And so I pray in our confusion that You would show us the way. You've spoken. You've given us a beautiful Bible. uh, Your very words to us. Your promises. Help us to dig deep and to mine those riches. And to find our identity there so that come what may, the storms of this world and the storms of life will only press us closer, closer to You. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.